For those of you that were here Sunday night, what a blessing that was. My goodness, we had uh, just one of those times that you reflect on. I've been reflecting on it all week. Have you been reflecting on that? It was so, so good. We had uh, so many different people here, different churches and pastors and friends, and, and what a good time that it was in the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so we're grateful for those that work in that effort in that choir and all of those things. God bless you so much. If you have your Bibles this morning, we want to begin to preach the word of the Lord. No service would be complete without the word of the Lord in some capacity. And so we want to go to Luke, the 17th chapter, and I'm going to do something this morning that you're going to think that I'm preaching a, a remake of a message that we preached not too long ago, but I want to go to the 32nd verse, the 32nd verse, Luke 17. It's one of those scriptures that if you're required to memorize a scripture, you know, as children, we <laughs> memorize a scripture. This was a good one. Not very hard. Like that one, and Jesus wept. I mean, you've really, you have really memorized some stuff when you get to Jesus wept. But... Um, Remember Lot's wife. Wow. I don't think it's in passing. The Lord is speaking here, and we are going to go over these scriptures. But the Lord Jesus is speaking here. And uh, there's a purpose, a reason. Remember Lot's wife. She doesn't even have a name. She probably had a name, but her name really isn't important. And really, the person here, and I think it's because the name, it's not so much the person. It's what was done. What happened. So we're going to stretch back some memory, and uh, we spoke on this before. So we're going to re-remember Lot's wife. She fits into this, even though it seems like when you're reading, just, just kind of reading in, in passing. How many of you are reading your Bible this year? I hope everybody gets through it. But you're reading in passing sometimes, and you're just reading along there. Remember Lot's wife? Oh, that doesn't, how does that fit in there? We're going to work on that a little bit this morning. And, and we've been speaking about the gain of loss, and I want to go back there this morning. This is part three, the gain of loss. Would you bow your head with us? And we give you honor, Lord, at the reading of your word. This you spoke yourself. There's something here, Lord, that, that should capture us. It should catch us. Remember Lot's wife, and we ask you that you would just expand, Lord, and on the meaning, 
that you would just bring it to our hearts this morning, that it would bless and touch and minister to us. Should there be one here this morning that, that maybe doesn't have a commitment in you? I pray this morning that, that they'll see the light of the Word of God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 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 So plug right in the middle of what Jesus had to say about some things is this component that doesn't seem to fit. It just like seems a little bit out of place. Remember Lot's wife and and I like I said, I have preached on it before, but typically, and I've heard it many times growing up, I've been in church all my life. I heard a lot of pastors preaching and teachers preaching and Normally, it just goes back to don't look back, and, and I think that is part of it. I think that's, that message is there in this, but there's something bigger. There's something uh, greater in meaning than just simply don't look back, and I believe that you should not look back at the world, but there's something here that, that I want to catch you with this morning, and it's called the gain of loss, the gain of loss, and and uh, she will be a backdrop for what the Lord is saying here. So I want to go back and kind of peruse in Genesis, the 19th chapter. That's where we find the story of Lot's wife. We find the story of Lot. You know that Lot went with Abraham and journeyed with him from the land of the Chaldeans into the promised land. And by and by their, their flocks, their herds began to intermingle, and there was some trouble between the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot. So they got to a point where Abraham said, now Lot, you choose what you, where you want to go. We've got to make a division here. We just haven't, our, our, our herds are too big, and we're having conflicts. And so Lot decided, he looked at the well-watered plains of Sodom. And it looked like a great place for him to go, and it probably was. There was plenty of grass. There was plenty of water for his herds, and he headed down towards Sodom, and Abraham took the hills, and he took the country uh, that, that was maybe a little harder to deal with and harsher to deal with. But the blessing of the Lord is on Abraham. He begins to multiply, and I do believe that the blessing of the Lord was upon Lot. And Lot began also to multiply. His family grew. He had children. And we, we find now a place where God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. He said the, the, um, the stench of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before him. And the wickedness and evil that's in that place has come before him. And I'm not going to hide this thing from my servant Abraham, but I am going to go down and destroy the plain cities. And that would have been Sodom, Gomorrah, and many of the other little cities that were in that area. They were vile and corrupt. And I wonder if God is looking at a lot of cities that are in America right now and uh, just, I believe, probably equal, if not worse, in a lot of ways than Sodom and Gomorrah. And judgment, believe me, judgment will come. But the Lord speaks with Abraham and says to him that I'm going down to destroy. And Abraham said, well, Lord, 
Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked together? Would you destroy, if there are wicked in that place, would you destroy them together? That doesn't sound like you. That doesn't sound like something you would do. Just, just Lord, please, please look to see that there's righteous there. And the Lord said, I will do that. Abraham said, if there's 50 righteous, and I don't know how big these cities were, probably pretty well inhabited, and and Abraham said, if there's, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare this, the, the righteous from this? And, and God said, I will. And Abraham takes another step. He said, well, Lord, if there's 45, because I think Abraham realizes there's just no righteousness down there. Well, if there's 40, if there's five less, Lord, if there's just five less, will you, will you spare them then? The Lord said, I will. Abraham said, I, I hate to ask you this, Lord. I hate to, to put this on you, but if there was 40, would you save them? I will. Abraham says, I'm just dirt. And when he addresses God again, he said, I'm just dirt and ashes and dirt. But, but would you do it if there's 30? The Lord said, I will. Abraham said, but Lord, if... What about if there's 20? And the Lord said, I will. He's whittling it down. I know that Abraham, he's just trying to get it down to Lot and his family. There's just nowhere to go with this. It's, it's just wicked, vile, corrupt. When we get our word sodomy from, is this town, these people. He tries one more time. Lord... If there's 10, would you spare the city? God said, Abraham, if there's just 10 people that are righteous in that place, I'll spare it. Of course, the Lord knew there wasn't 10. And now so they departed. And uh, the next, what we have, chapter 19, verse 1, and Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom, he's one of the, the elders, the judges in that town. And here come two angelic beings. One thing about angels, I think sometimes we've misunderstood that, that angels have wings. Not all angels have wings. The angels look like men. Um, there are those that do have wings. Uh, the scripture talks about those seraphims and cherubims. But there are angels that just look like men. They come into the city. Lot sees them there and quickly invites them to his house. And when they come to his house, uh, he says, look, I want you to come in and stay with me. It's not safe to be outside. And evening's coming on. I want you to stay with us. And, and invited the angels in. They went in, and, and there Lot fixed them dinner, and they ate. And now it's getting uh, dusk and dark, and the men of the city, the people of the city come together, and they surrounded, the scripture said, they surrounded Lot's house. This is pretty scary business. There's many of them, not a few, but the whole city. It said from every quarter they came, and now they're demanding that Lot send the two men out that came into the city, which are angels, demanding that he send them out so that they, in some way, it doesn't say, but they wanted to defile these men. 
And Lot is just taken back. He says, look, I don't anything but that. I have two daughters, and take these two daughters and, and defile them, but leave these men alone. I'll tell you what, he is in a really, really bad place. When you get down in the middle of sin, there's really not anywhere to go. Everywhere you turn, it's around you. And Lot's in a mess. There's not even ten righteous there. The angels now begin to speak to him and say, Lot, you're going to have to get out of here. God's going to destroy this place. The men are now coming to the door, pounding at the door, trying to get in. And Lot goes, please don't do this thing. The angels take him inside the house, and they smote those that were around the house with blindness, and they couldn't see. They were still looking for trying to get to the door. So vile and corrupt, just completely taken over with vileness. And so now uh, the two angels say to him, go out and find your son-in-laws. I didn't know this till I reread it. And that's a good thing about rereading. Is that actually he had other children. And they had integrated into the populace. And they were part of what was going on in Sodom. And they were not righteous. And he went to his son-in-laws, which had married his daughters, and said to them, God is going to judge this place, and you need to get out of here with us. And those son-in-laws mocked him. He comes back to the house. The angels grab him by the hand, it says. Grabbed his wife by the hand. Grabbed his two daughters that were there by their hands and said, get out of this place. I can't, we can't destroy this until you're out of here. And they led them out. And as they led them out, then this destruction begins to happen. They turn to a little city of Zoar. And there, as they begin to enter into Zoar, the brimstone and fire begin to fall out of heaven. And now, I don't know for sure, but from what I understand, that the Dead Sea now sits over Sodom and Gomorrah, is that the hail from heaven, fire stones came down and burned that place and crushed that place and, and God filled it over with water now. But as they were entering and they heard what God had said, don't look back, don't go back, don't even in any way return, and as they're entering into Zor, Lot's wife turns to see. Now, the reason why Jesus has put this in here, he's talked about Lot, and we'll see him in the scripture here in a second, but it's amazing that Lot didn't turn around, the daughters didn't turn around, but his wife turned around to see. I don't think that she was just inquisitive about what was happening. If you realize that some of her children were there, I didn't see that before, but some of her possibly grandbabies were there. The investment that she had in that place and, and it's drawing her and she turns around and when she did, God turned her to a pillar of salt. Somebody said, oh, that's just a folk tale. 
Well, you can take the whole Bible that way if you want to. I believe what the Word of God said. Can the church say amen? So now in verse 31, that was verse 32, but in verse 31, it talks about, uh, and likewise, he in the field, let him not return to the things behind. And then it says, remember Lot's wife. Returning to the things behind. What things? What things? And I want to work on that this morning. I want to work on the things behind. Because listen, this, this whole thing started by a revelation. The revelation was that God is going to judge this place. It hadn't happened. They'd never seen anything like it before. Yeah, sure. And so the Lord's going to go over Noah and Lot when he talks about this, this whole scenario that at the revelation of what God says, that's going to change some things. That's going to modify everything. The revelation was that God is going to burn it down, that God is going to bring it down. And then acting upon the revelation, Sodom will be destroyed. All will be lost. But you will gain your lives. What's your life worth? Sodom's going to come down. Everything that you know, everything you have, everything you've accumulated is going to be lost. But you will gain your lives. This is the essence of what happened here with Lot's wife. Now we see this, the relevance now of Jesus plugging this into this section of Scripture or this teaching now becomes, to me, it just becomes open because beginning at verse 22 through 37, there's a discourse here that's being made, but it's not really about Lot's wife, but she figures into it because it is a point in time. It's called the day of the Son of Man. The word day in between verse 32 or 22 and the end of the chapter 37 Nine times the Lord will use the word day or days. Four times he will use the Son of Man. So I don't think this is about Lot. It's not about Noah. It's not about Lot's wife. But rather, it's about the day of the Lord, the day of the Son of Man. And so when we look at how many times the Lord put day in there, how many times he put the Son of Man in there, it just catches our attention to realize there's something bigger here than, than what we've thought before. God is trying to call something out of this, and if we can see it this morning, a day is a natural day. If you look at the definition, the Greek day is a, just a time between when the sun comes up in the morning and when the sun sets in the evening. That's called the day. In uh, the Hebrew people, they differentiate the day and the night. We call it day 24 hours, and, and so it starts at 12 o'clock midnight till 12 o'clock midnight the next day, and we call that a day, but their day was actually, it was the light hours and then the dark hours they called night. But also a day is a figure of speech concerning a, a space of time or a time frame. A day, we refer to a day that it happened that day. We didn't mean that it happened during the sunlight hours. We meant that it happened during that time. It's a time that's set, not sunlight hours. And so I wanted to explain that so that we wouldn't think that, that the Lord was talking about that. 
And so he starts off, and if you would go with me, you can read with me from the 22nd chapter, and I need to read down a little bit and just comment before we can go on this morning. But verse 22 of the same chapter, Luke 17, and he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see. Starting this thing off on which Lot's wife is, is there. Lot is there and Noah is there. He's going to like or liken what happened in their day as what's going to happen in his day. As it was in the days of Noah. Likened unto that. And one of the things that the Lord does, and, and this is consistent in, in, in all of his speaking, and I've said this before, and let me bear it again, that the Lord always spoke in one of three manners. He spoke as the Son of Man. He spoke as the Son of God. Or He spoke directly as God. We can find all of those references again and again and again in the New Testament. And this time, He's speaking in the third person. I mean, this is kind of strange to us. I don't talk about myself in the third person. Do you talk about yourself in the third person? Well, I don't. But when he says, and the son of man, he's talking about himself. Not talking about somebody else. But he tells it as though it's somebody else. But the son of man is one of those positions in which he speaks from, one of those manners in which he speaks from. But he's speaking about himself. He's not talking about somebody else. But when he says the Son of Man, he's talking about this body that he is wearing. He is the Lord Jesus to Christ. He's the Son of God. He's God with us, Emmanuel. But he speaks as though he's talking about a third person. But he is really talking about himself. And so let's look down at this a little bit. And they will, they will long for a to see one of the days of the Son of Man, which is that fleshly body that's with them, and they will not see it because he's going away. And they will say to you, Lo here, or lo there, do not go away, nor follow. Listen to this part. For as the lightning which lights up flashing from one part under the heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so also will be the Son of Man in his day. Now, I'm going to have to do something for you that have been in church for a while and you've been schooled some things um, by either some teaching or by commentaries perhaps. They want to put this to the end of days. They want to put it to after a rapture, after a resurrection, that, that somewhere at the end, maybe concerning the rapture and, and the end times. But Jesus isn't framing it as that. He's framing it as the day of the Son of Man. The last day of the Son of Man. He doesn't work as the Son of Man anymore. Does everybody understand that? He's not enthroned in heaven as the Son of Man. The Son of Man was here. The Son of Man was ministering messianically upon the earth. 
And he's talking about a day of the Son of Man, a day that they'll see, a day that they'll understand that, that there is a, a revelation that's captured here. And let's go on and read just a little bit. And he must suffer many things and be rejected from this generation. So he's connecting the day of the Son of Man with rejection and suffering. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. And they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed all. And likewise, it was in the days of Lot. They were, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed all. Now listen to this. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I'm, I'm a big one to catch it when it talks about Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. It will be the, like that, Noah, Lot, in the day of the Lord when he is revealed. And so look at that. They'll be doing what? They'll be eating and drinking and marrying and buying and selling and so we're looking at like at the end of time. And the Lord's going to come down and he's going to destroy all. No, he's not talking about destroying everything here. He's talking about their mindset and what they're doing. They've heard the word of the Lord. Noah preached for a hundred years that God was going to flood the earth. One hundred years. How many messages can you preach in a hundred years? And it's the same topic every time. God's going to flood the earth. They don't believe it. I mean, maybe some of them for the first few times heard it. Okay, we'll go with that. Maybe after about six months, they said, this old message, I'm getting tired of this message. And then, then after a year, they said, we're not listening to that any longer. You've been saying that and saying that and saying that. And But listen, at the revelation of the word of the Lord, God, when he reveals a thing, God is going to do it. When God says a thing, it's established. It's going to happen. It may not be on your time schedule. But God is going to do his word. We've got a lot of people right now saying, have said a lot of things about government. They've made a lot of predictions, a lot of prophecies and different things, and they've called it the word of the Lord. I don't know if it's the word of the Lord not or not, but I have a book here in my hands that is the word of the Lord. It's been tested. It's been tried. It's been hanging around for 6,000 years, and this word is right. This word will happen. This word is the word of God. We have a more sure, established word of God than somebody coming up with an off-the-wall prophecy. Somebody say amen. But when God says it, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen in his time. And so the Lord is going to have this revelation of himself. The Son of Man will be revealed. There will come a day during the time of the Son of Man. I believe it is the last day of the Son of Man on earth that, that God's revelation 
power. He will show just exactly what this son of man is all about. He'll go to Pilate and there he'll tell Pilate for this hour, for this day, I came into the world. And the reason why is so that he may be manifested so that he may be revealed. If he's never revealed, then we wouldn't know who he is. We would just wonder who he was. Maybe another prophet, maybe another good man, maybe another rabbi. But if he is revealed, something greater than just a prophet, just a preacher, just a rabbi is going to come forward. God is going to reveal his plan for mankind on the last day of the Son of Man on this earth. And so I feel probably there's several things that this could be addressing. I mean, when you talk about the revelation of the Son of Man, I think there may be at least two different interpretations of this, and and I'm going to try and bring both of those quickly. I Again, I believe that the day the Lord is talking about is that day when He will suffer, he will be tried. He will, will be found guilty. He will be uh, capital punished. He will go to the cross. And there he will hang between heaven and earth. But yet on that day, there will come a glorious revelation and manifestation of who he is. Because just prior to that moment, John 17, just before going to the garden, just before the arrest, before going to trial, Jesus begins to cry out, now the time has come that the Son may be glorified. And so take him to the cross and put him there and it's an ugly sight. It's full of bruising and blood and, and it's full of terror. It looks horrible but on that cross the glory of God is being extended to mankind. The revelation of who is on that cross is before us in the acronym over his head. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Yahweh is over his head. He is being exposed to the world now. He's being exposed to the heavens, to the earth, and what's under the earth, that he really is the king. He really is the Lord of lords. He really is the one who came to die. No one else could come and die for sin. Prophets had come. They had sacrificed lambs. They had done all of Moses' things. But now God will show his salvation in the day of the Lord, the day of the Son of Man. There will be a great revelation that he comes forward in and he is the king. Can you say amen? Jesus would die as a man, as a son of man, but in that death, he destroys the power of sin. He destroys the penalty of sin and gives us justification. He destroys the power of sin and gives us sanctification in that last day of his life. That's the greatest day. The psalmist said it this way. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because it offers to you and I a destiny that we never had. It offers to you and I salvation by the power of Jesus Christ in our life. Over the 
2,190,000 approximately, 2,190,000 days. This day will stand out in infamy because this is the day. Thank you, Lord. The psalmist went on to say, this is the stone which the builders rejected. But to you who accept him, he is precious. What he does on that day, what he is on that day, sets humanity on a course of salvation opportunity. You and I have a right to have salvation in our life because of what he did. Can you say amen? I believe this is what the Lord is saying, that that on the day of the Son of Man and the revelation of the Son of Man. Let me tell you this. I want to I change to what I would call the second interpretation of this. You'll never understand the Bible. And, and I'm going to say this if I have to stand on this branch by myself. I don't hear anybody else saying this. I hear them prophesying a lot of stuff, a lot of current events, a lot of things are going to happen in the world. I hear them prophesying that stuff. But let me say this by the word of prophecy, that the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The spirit of prophecy is not the revelation of human current events. The spirit of revelation in the New Testament It is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preachers need to begin to sound the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can't worry so much about what people are doing and things are doing and administrations are doing. I need to understand a revelation about Jesus Christ in my life. And so the second thing that I would say here, he's he's talking about the day of his death, yes, but then there's, there's a second thing, and I think it's a revelation of God to us personally. If you don't believe that Jesus is all that, if you don't believe that he is all in all, that he is preeminent in all things, you will never begin to understand what this book is about. This book is not about history. This book is not about literature. This book is not about Christian little nuances that that we can treat it as though it's some kind of a goodie package. This book is about the revelation of the God in heaven who came down and became man in the earth and was glorified again. This book is about Jesus Christ and his life personally attached to you. I believe this book reveals that that Jesus is Lord God Almighty and that Lord God Almighty is Jesus Yeshua, God. When, When that day is revealed to you, I guess I'd gone on in my Christian life for some time understanding the day of the Lord and the Son of Man. But when the revelation of who He is really personally began to grasp my life, you say, well, 
Were you, yes, yes, I was serving the Lord. But revelation is something that it speaks of, it's, it's the word apocalypse or apocalypsis, which means from being covered. Calypsis uh, is, is to cover something. But when you take the cover off of it, and it's called apocalypsis or the revelation of what was hidden. And so now I want to speak to the church just a little bit. There are some things that are hidden in Christ that you can't understand without revelation. And again, we go over, okay, Revelation, yeah, we jump over to the book of Revelation and then we get to see the, the four horsemen and we get to see the plagues and we get to see, you know, the 666 and, and all of that. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a revelation of eschatology and end times. We've had so many people guessing about that. I say about one pastor, and I think he's a good man. He writes a new book every time there's another war. And I don't know, he's got a stack of them. The last war. He might as well call them the last war one, the last war two, three, four, five. He's got about ten of them now, I think. This really is the last war now. Really, really it is. And then that goes by and we come to another. And this is the last. God's not calling his men to do that foolishness. He's calling his men to reveal Christ to the people. How do we do that? We do that by the words of Jesus. There's stuff in here that I don't understand yet. There's things, there's patterns in here. There's there's revelation in here that we have yet to even touch. And if we think that we've exhausted it all and now we've got to preach about man, I'm not preaching about man. The subject that I will come to you every Sunday morning, the subject, the person of Jesus Christ is the only subject that's going to do you any good in your life. I can preach to you about rehab and I can preach to you about it's good to be good and, and do good things and try and motivate you to do good things. But if I can motivate you to drop the scales off your eyes and get into Word of God and find out a revelation that will touch your heart and change your life then I have been successful as a preacher of this gospel can you say amen Peter says at the revelation of Jesus Christ he's talking to the church if you read his opening statement in 1 Peter he says to the general assembly of the church and what he is speaking to them Later on, he says, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we can sit in church and just keep doing what we're doing, and there is no revelation in our spirit. Get tired of serving the Lord. You know, serving the Lord, it's just you. Just so, you know, we just do the same thing. And that's the whole thing. God's got something. Pastor Ronnie preached it this morning. And, and, and just a little before I got here, God is doing a new thing. What do you mean a new thing? Oh, something crazy out of no, no, I'm talking about things that you don't know about yet. Things you have not experienced yet. Because it hasn't been revealed in your spirit yet. God wants to do a new and a fresh and an exciting. You can't 
get more excited than you can if you see a revelation of Jesus Christ in the Scripture. There is nothing, I mean, okay, you get excited in the flesh, you know, you get, you get oh, we got it last night. We got the little card from, from the government, the EIP card, you know. You, you get the money that's coming to you. It's owed to you because of COVID. So we got, whoa, whoa man, we go out and eat once or twice now. And I mean, it's really short-lived, right? How many have already spent yours, right? They're <laughs> short-lived. You get a revelation of Jesus Christ, and it will carry you through your lifetime. Fall on hard times and things go bad. You go right back to that revelation that God has poured out in your spirit and it'll revive you again. I know because I've been there time after time. And so this thing about when the Son of Man is revealed. Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul says this, that that God would give you and, and again, he's speaking to the Ephesian church. He's not speaking to the devils out there. He's speaking to the church. God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wow. Let's don't forget that this sermon is about the gain of loss. So listen. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, now we will go to verse 31, and you don't have to read this down with me, but we'll do the rest of this little chapter. And really, let me just kind of paraphrase what it speaks to. After the revelation of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ, everything else is going to be counted lost in your life. I hate to say this to church people, but sometimes you've been taught some things that you need to lose. You'll never lose them until you come to the day of revelation in your life. Watch it. Watch it now. Some people that I love, people that, that I look up to, have a continuance or have had a continuance of what they were taught when they were juniors in junior church. And that has established their understanding of the Lord and they're not leaving it. I'm not trying to preach to you this morning sacrilege. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is one thing important in your Christian life. Just one. And that is that you understand and have a knowledge of the one you are serving. If there was one single thing about you that God wants to connect his life and yours, that's the very thing that Paul said that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge and revelation of him. Some of the things we've learned, some of the doctrines that we have learned, 
Well, why is it so important, Pastor? Why, you know, you make a big deal sometimes about doctrine. We don't need to know about doctrine. We just need to know about loving Jesus. Well, sometimes you're loving the wrong guy. I, I, you know, and I don't want to pick on anybody this morning, but Paul doesn't say that you need to have an understanding of a three-personed Godhead. He just doesn't say that. Because it's not in Scripture. What he says is that you need to have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because that's where we're going, friends. We're not going to a multiplicity in God. And if you have learned that as a child, well, I'm just staying with it. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I learned this stuff a long time ago, and, and I'm staying with it. Now, I like you, Pastor, and, and I like what you're preaching and, and everything, but I'm staying with what I believe. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's not what I have. It's not what I'm teaching. It's what the Scripture is teaching. It's what God is showing us. And what God is showing us is the glory of Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're on the housetop, when you get a revelation of Jesus Christ, don't go down and get your stuff. If you're in the field, don't go back and get your stuff. Remember, Lot's wife, don't, don't go back there at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, there's this ongoing thing, this proceeding. We use the word proceeding. Every word proceeding out of the mouth of God. We're not backing up. We are marching forward in Christ Jesus. Maybe, listen, it might be small steps sometimes, and I'm, but I'm not going back there. But we sang that this morning. I, I can't. I know what's back there. I don't want what's back there. But forgetting those things which are behind, I press, I press, I press towards the mark. The mark is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if that's just a little step, and if, if that's just a tiny step, I'm not digressing. I am going forward to know him, to find him, to press after him, to look for him, to see him revealed in his word. That's where we're going this morning, church. Can you say amen? And let me say this, that upon the revelation of Jesus Christ, you can't have what you used to have. This is the reason why Jesus says sell all. This is the reason why he says if you're trying to find your life, you're going to lose it. That anyone that comes to him must be willing to deny their self. Everybody say deny with me. That's, that's pretty good. So, you know, Lord, for you, Today, I didn't eat an ice cream sandwich. I denied myself. And we've got the wrong rendering of the word. It means to release ownership. That deny. That I don't own me anymore. And then, you know, then I'm not following the dictates of me. I'm following after my Lord. Does everybody understand? Say amen. And so you can't have the revelation of Jesus Christ and have everything else too. You get one or the other. 
If you're in the field, don't come back. Don't come back to get your stuff. The things you formerly thought are going to pass away. Those who are in Christ Jesus, if something happens in their life, old things pass away. Old things. Come on. Old things. Everybody say old things. Well, that doesn't mean just sin and trouble. That means a lot of the doctrine that you may have been taught, that you may have heard, that you may have grew up with, and Grandma thought, and Uncle Joe thought, and they taught me that. But at the revelation of Jesus Christ, old things pass away, and one thing becomes important in my life, and that's to know Him. By the power of His revelation, a clean sweep in my life, a new understanding, a fresh new outlook drop it all sell it all give it all up to get this life in Jesus Christ can you say amen isn't that good you know we only got five more minutes according to the the time so we're going to pack the next five minutes some will be taken and some will be left uh oh now I'm going to get personal okay at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and I know I've been in a pulpit all this time, and I'll open that word, and I'll begin to preach, and, and man, I can see it as clear, and I can, I'm trying to give it to you as clear as I can, and then some will be taken, and some will be left behind. Some are happy with what they have. They don't want anything else. And so the word of God comes out. And, no, I'll just go ahead and stay where I'm at. But some will be taken. Some are going to get on fire. Some are going to press the new things in their life. Some are going to see the Lord for a, a, a newness that they've never seen before. And it's going to reform the way they act. It's going to reform the way they present themselves in this world. Because, because they have seen a fresh new revelation of Jesus Christ. And now to end this thing, in the last verse, the disciples said to him, Where, Lord, where are they going to be taken to? See, the disciples didn't quite understand the full context of what the Lord was saying here, they're looking at it, you know, physically. So where are they going to be taken to? Those, those that were in the field and they were taken. Those that were on the housetop and they were taken. And one was grinding at the meal. Two were grinding at the meal. One was taken, one was left. Where, Lord? What, where are they taken to? Oh, wow, he's got a really, really interesting metaphor here. And if you have dealt with this and completely understand it, you come and help me. Amen. The Lord says to them, listen to this. The Lord says to them, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Man, that speaks of carnage. Really, uh, Matthew uses the word buzzards or, or vultures. Have you ever seen, you know, you know where, uh, uh, you know, watch the old westerns. They, they always got buzzards flying around. That's part of it, man, you know. And, but they're always able to locate, you know, something, a dead cow, a, a body. But you can see them. And uh, here they come, and they're flying. They can smell it. They're flying, and then finally they come in, and, and they're on the road, you know. Wow, it, they are a nasty bird, you know. 
but, but something about them. Think about this now. They don't kill the prey. They just eat it. It's provision for them. So are they really a, a dirty animal? Man, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for them, we'd have skunks on the road forever. They, every time I go home, I, I don't know that there's a time that there isn't a skunk on the road. And I think, man, it stinks, but there's old buzzard down there, man. He's, he's flying up on the fence when you come by, and he jumps right back down in there. He's going to get him some of that delicious skunk. They didn't kill the skunk. They're just there to eat. Well, the Lord wouldn't compare his church to vultures. Well, if you think about the metaphor a little bit, I don't think he's comparing us to vultures, but I do think this. I think that what he's saying is, is that there's only one place to eat. In the day of the Lord. Now, don't forget, this is about the day of the Lord. He could even be alluding to his crucifixion. Do you know that when men were crucified, it's recorded that the buzzards begin to circle? And sometimes before they were even dead, they would come down and begin to pull the flesh off of these guys that were crucified. Man, crucifixion is rough. But being ate by a bird is even rougher. But the parallel here is, okay, the day of the Lord, the revelation of the Lord, him hanging on a cross and, and the buzzards are coming in. I believe they were also circling. Now, he wasn't on the cross long enough for them to come down and begin to eat on his flesh. But many men were, and so I think this could be one of the allegory. And then the second one is this, I believe, is that he could be alluding to 2,000 years of a continual gathering together, eating the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said in John 6, 53. Truly, truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, it will use the same word, epasunago, to describe what the members of a body do. They gather together. And the Lord said the eagles gather at the body. And I have to believe he's talking about us. Can you see it? Say amen. There's one place where we're going to eat. There's one place where we come together. And it's called the body of Christ. I am so glad that God designed that we're not out there by ourselves doing our own thing, but we are together in this thing. We are fellow workers. We are fellow citizens. We are koinonia, partnership in this thing together. We are the Lord's people together. We're not separate. I don't want to be out there by myself like Abraham wandering here and there. I'm glad that God is gathering eagles together in his house for a for a purpose, and the purpose is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're not going to get it out there watching television. You're going to get it in the house of God by the ministering of the word, by the reading, teaching, believing, openness 
of the Word of God. Can everybody say amen? Oh, God bless you. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And when you lose it all to gain him, you quit eating anywhere else. And I'm not talking about eating lunch. We're all going to go eat lunch, I hope. I love it. We're going to eat lunch. But you stop eating spiritually anywhere else but in him. And when that happens in your life, revelation's going to begin to come. I'll tell you what, he's my Savior. Can you say amen? He's my Lord. He's my provider. He's the only one true hero that there is. He is the example of all good things and godliness and holiness and righteousness. And I'm looking for him. I'm not looking for other people. I, you know, people come and go. But Brother Curtis said it the other night, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the one we're looking for. Can you say amen? God bless you this morning. Amen. Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. Sister Debbie, if you would.